Victor Avila describes the moment the Los Zetas cartel started opening fire on him and Agent Jaime Zapata. And I'm yelling at him. Jaime's sitting next to me. I'm yelling, kind of going like this. And then he shoots. He lets out rounds towards like the front uh, tire, front fender area of the Suburban. And he goes, boom, 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 boom. I don't remember how many rounds, but he shoots several. And that's the very first time that I, I, I think I might have, I don't remember myself. I said, did he fucking shoot at the, like, did he shoot at the Suburban? Like, it, it was so surreal that it took me, I, I couldn't comprehend what was happening. Not that I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't, I didn't want to accept that that was happening. Did I, did he just like in fucking shoot at the door? Welcome to Game of Crimes. Uh, I had never been briefed. Mm. <laughs> this, by the way, they had made these arrangements back in December. And this, and this is, is February. This is February. Wow. And I was never privy to any email. I was never CC'd on any email. I was never told any of this until hours literally before the assignment, which, you know, that's very wrong in law enforcement. Absolutely. You have to have Absolutely. your ducks in a row and have all that set up. And plus, he's, he's so not. If I didn't know, forget Jaime. Jaime was even less. He was just like. Go help Victor drive, basically. Go, you know, go help him because it's a long drive. And he's not issued any weapons. He's not carrying long guns. No. I mean, he doesn't even have no. a pistol. Well, you guys aren't no. going to the Piggly Wiggly to pick up groceries <laughs> and milk. I mean, they're sending you to pick up. Uh, uh, just anyway, but this, I mean, but as you can see, though, as you start talking about this, you can start seeing one thing begets mm -hmm. another, which begets another. I mean, it just, everything starts, it, it's almost the perfect storm of all the things that could go wrong at a certain time. That's right. Do. Um, but so you and Jaime, so, you know, even though they say you're not supposed to be armed, have you guys got access to anything in the vehicle? I have two firearms that are issued to me, two handguns, a, a Glock 19 and a, and a, and a SIG, a SIG 229, P2229, um, uh, in my backpack. And I, uh, I have one, those backpacks that have a holster and then my other gun is in a holster inside with some mags in there, extra magazines. And I have a bunch of magazines around the, uh, the Suburban too. And I get my backpack and place it, it you know, I'm in the driver's seat, behind the seat on the floorboard right there, easy access. And I told Jaime, uh, one of the first stops that we did, I said, hey, by the way, I got these two, if the shit hits the fan, that's exactly the words that I use. And he says, okay. And head off back to, to Highway 57, heading north until we make contact with our uh, friends from uh, the Monterey mm -hmm. office at kilometer marker 100, which is... Um, at this, we left at six thirty. We made contact with him about eleven thirty. So, any issues uh, from going before, you know, uh, before the turnaround and everything? Everything go okay? Did you see anything that remotely looked like the Zetas or surveillance or anything? Nothing, nothing. It's very smooth. Took five minutes to to bring that those boxes from one. So, by the way, they're driving the exact same suburban that we are, except theirs is cream colored, ours is blue, and we transfer them over. Takes five minutes. Uh, I even asked uh, the restaurant that was there. I asked the lady, uh, I asked Jaime, do you want anything to eat? The lady's offering to make us something. You know, Mexico lunch is not till two. And he says, no, I want to eat at the Subway restaurant that we had passed by on Highway 50. So there's a Subway, there's a Wait church's a minute. You chicken. You come all the way to Mexico City and you want to eat at a Subway? <laughs> he wanted to eat Subway. He, oh, I my think, God. <laughs> he was, I think he was just taken aback that there was a Subway in Mexico. Yeah. And I said, Hey, you want Subway? We'll eat Subway, man. I don't have a problem. We'll eat Subway. Uh, and so we used the restroom there. 
Hey, and, and I'm gonna say something. I, I want to say something really quick on these yep. on these boxes. I'm not. I, I can't. I can't divulge it now. But I just recently got some information. This is the first time that I'm ever gonna say this publicly. Uh, just just last week, I got some information that that the boxes possibly are not what they always told me that was in there. The boxes that we picked up that I always have said that they're electronic surveillance equipment mm -hmm. and possible is possibly not that. It was not that at all. It was something else. And it, let me tell you, when uh, I heard that last week, it is I'm beyond shocked, but I have to explore that before I go further with any information. But I want to tell you that this is this is almost 11 years later, and I'm still getting people calling me and telling me information. This, this is how crazy this uh, is. You know, that, and that just... I, I know you, you can't discuss it, but I got to ask one question. Was it something in that box of a personal nature for your bosses? Maybe. Unfucking believable. See, the, you, Murph, <laughs> you read my mind. I'm sitting here going, you know what it was? I've seen this happen mm. before, too. Somebody wants a bottle of scotch. Somebody's got some cigars. Somebody's got this. And what do they do? They detail some people to go run their fucking errands for them yep. to go deliver shit. Yep. Are we, are I we didn't any, say it. Are we anywhere in the ballpark? You're fucking on the ballpark right there. Oh, and how how would we have known that? It's just this just gets right. more well, and you more guys, incredible. You guys, Murph, you've been there, done that, man. You yep. guys have been there, done you that. You know what and shows up is... in diplomatic pouches in Pakistan <laughs> or Turkey? <laughs> and you know, yeah, you, yeah. you're right. Uh, uh, this is. Let me ask you this: level of confidence. Do, don't give away sources. Uh, level of confidence. How confident are you in this new information that you got? Very, very confident. Jeez. It's a very reliable source. It's a, it's a person that has, uh, because of the timing, they couldn't have said it before. And that's why it took a long time to say it. Yeah. And it had to say it in person. This is how, this is how serious this is. They said it to me in person. And let me tell you, I didn't have the, uh, the time, you know, I'm out there campaigning. I don't have the time to react to it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as we're talking about it. Of course, we're, I'm reacting it with you guys here, but I trust you guys. You guys are, you guys, are, you guys have been through this. You guys know. I mean, look at you guys. What, I mean, well, it, I gotta it, tell you, it, I've it, never been shot at by the Zetas. I've never had to go <laughs> to deliver a fucking package for a moron super. Well, I, I take that back. But not six hours on the most dangerous highway <laughs> right, in Mexico. Right. You know, holy. It is. Uh, it is. It is incredible. I. I don't know what avenues I'll have to explore that, but I. I, I will at one point because, if that. You know, the, according to him, it's like this is the truth. By the way, these I'm not I'm not talking two boxes, guys. These are a lot of boxes. Yeah, you said in the book. It, 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 it took it took the whole back yeah. of the suburban, not just the third row, but the second row too. Yeah. We had to bring the second row, which in fact is what kept my my shut my my backpack down and and kind of you know wasn't I wasn't I didn't have any access to my backpack because we lowered the seat and then we lowered the other. To the third row seat, and we packed those bags. I have pictures of them from the from the court case, but uh, and I use them during my presentation. But anyway, we we do it. We do the exchange. Jaime wants a uh, subway, and here we go. I'm still driving, by the way. And to your question, uh, Morgan, about the um, about on the way back now, this is the very first time that we get an indication that at least I do that something is wrong. Hey, and hold on before you get into that. I want to ask you one more quick question about the vehicle. Cause there's a place not too far from where I'm out here in Murph. Maybe you know where it is too, where they take you out. You have to go through special driving sometimes with armored vehicles because yeah. it is not, it is not the same as driving a regular vehicle. The center of gravity is different. You know how they handle is much different. Um, 
did you did you go through any of the special driving courses for the armored vehicle? Did they have you go through it at that time or just issue it to you? Nope, no training whatsoever. Now, of course, it exists, but this is my training in Mexico City. Uh, this is before we got the 2009 Suburbans. It was an old, old armored Dodge uh, SUV. And uh, uh, I go, the very first assignment, I drive it, and I have my supervisor with me. We're going south to a, a Mexican office, a federal office, and we're going, you know, bumper to bumper on the freeway, and I'm trying to stop at two miles an hour, and I, I I'm not, I don't know, I never driven it. it takes a, a little bit extra oh, to yeah. stop it. Like a, stopping a train, and I yep. hit you got to start breaking the, an hour before you want to stop. Yep, I hit the bumper of the front car, which is like a little, little small Nissan Sentra, and <laughs> knocked the shit out of the the bumper, and I'm like, oh no. And then we get off. My supervisor's like, oh, no, we're going to have to call the insurance. And he got fucking kidding me. Let's give this guy fucking a mil pesos and let's get the hell out of here. It's, we'll pay him more that's worth for the bumper. We'll pay him more. And he could replace it. And no, we got to wait for the insurance. And the insurance adjusters over there are in, are in speed bikes. They're driving all, driving all over the city. Wait two hours for them to show up. Oh, and no, no, no. Write the report. I got to write. <laughs> listen to this. I got to write. Open a, an investigation. Yeah. A file with a case number about the little bumper fender bender that I just had. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind about the investigation of what I had to do for that fender bender and what they did not do when an officer gets killed in the line of duty. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, no training, uh, trial by fire. Same thing with Jaime. He had never driven an armored vehicle. And so at the time, and I'll, t I'll get to that point. I'm about to get there because we're, we're driving back and... Within a few minutes, there is a Mexican federal police unit, police car, in the middle of the, it's a four-lane highway, four going south, four going, four, two lanes going south, two lanes going north, and in the big median, grassy median. And there is a Mexican federal police unit with a police officer in uniform standing outside with an M4 in a quasi three-quarter position, mm -hmm. you know, scanning traffic, literally going left to oh, right. He's ready to right shoot. to left. Like, what the hell is this guy doing? Never in my life have seen that, ever. And I've been through illegal checkpoints. I've been through legal checkpoints, police checkpoints, cartel checkpoints. You name it. I've, known, I've learned how to navigate through those as a diplomat, as an agent. This was not that. This is a guy in the middle. And, and I'm not the only one slowing down. It's all the people. It, this, is, this is people driving on this freeway. And they're like, what in the heck is that guy doing? You no, know, they're slowing down. And we do the same. And I'm driving, and he's looking at us, and we're staring at him, and I, and I got very scared. I was scared. I kept on driving, and I, the only vision I have is from the side mirrors, and I'm looking at him, and he's still there. And I finally, you know, he's out of sight, and I turned to Jaime, and I said, are you all right, man? He says, no, nah, I'm a little scared. I asked him, are you scared? And he says, yeah. I said, me too, man. That was fucking weird. That was that. I had never, I'd never felt that. I felt uneasy. I felt I didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it kind of, we started talking again and whatever, we kind of forgot about it. Drive another, so, so many, uh, a couple, a few hours till we get to the subway. And this time it's about one one thirty in the afternoon. And uh, we, beautiful day, 72 degrees. I told Jaime, this is another perk of living over here. The, the, the weather's gorgeous. Uh, very clear day, very hardly any people in that big stop where the restaurants are at. We eat outside for half an hour. And then we hit the road at two o'clock, continue to go uh, uh, south to Mexico City. I throw them the keys. I say, okay, it's your turn to help me drive. 
I need to do a bunch of stuff on the BlackBerry. I had a human trafficking conference uh, going on that was going to be set up in Ciudad Juarez, arrest warrants. You can imagine. All, I said, I'll, I'll take this time while Jaime drives for me to get some work done. And I told him, listen, when we get into Mexico City, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to you know, put you through this and make you go through the traffic in Mexico City at 7 p.m., which is rush hour in Mexico City. I said, you'll pull over and I'll take it from there and we'll get us back to the embassy. And he said, okay, great. I called my supervisor and gave him our 20, our location, and said, we're here. We're going to be more or less coming in, and I'll call you there at that time. 10-4, good to go. Within 15 minutes of driving, I'm on the phone, and Jaime gives me the heads up and says, hey, two SUVs pass us at a high rate of speed. I told Jaime, keep it at 70, 72 miles an hour. Get used to the weight of the vehicle. It's an open road. This is the best way for you to actually get used to the weight of, and, and the shifting of the car. And then the two SUVs passes at a high rate of speed. They're probably going 90 plus miles an hour. And he says, oh, heads up. And I look up and he says, there's a, there's a gun, a silhouette of a rifle in the backseat of the second SUV. And I catch it. And they are gone. And I said, just let them go, man. Let them go. And I don't know who they are or whatever. Just go. In Mexico, there could be police officers. You have no idea who they could be. They take off. We could almost not see them anymore. That's how fast they were going. But before you knew it, we knew it. They, we were on top of them. They slowed down to, to 20 miles an hour, and boom, we're up on them. We're on the far right lane. One's in front of us. The other one's next to, uh, next to us, and they start blocking us in immediately. A rolling roadblock. The first car slows down. The, next, the car next to you pushes you to the right. Slow down, push. Slow down, push. We got trained to do this at the academy. Mm-hmm. They're doing it on us. And I tell Jaime, hey, go, go, go. Try to uh, avoid him, and he tries to navigate through. But our, our Suburban obviously takes longer to accelerate and all that. These guys get back into position. And the second time, the SUV right next to us, which is right next to Jaime's door, they lower the windows and they come out with AK-47s. They're screaming to pull over, pull over, pull over, how stop, many, stop, stop, stop. How many guys do you see at this point between the two Suburbans? Um, in the front, I don't know how many. In the side, we got about... We got two in the back seat with uh, long, gun, long, long guns, AKs, and the one in the passenger seat. So we have at least, you know, four people. Yeah. Uh, the driver and these three. And they're like, pull over, pull over. All in Spanish, of course. And um, What was your thought at they, that point? Do you think, do you, was your thinking that, hey, they've made us as American agents, they're after us? No. What did you think? No, it was... Um, <laughs> it, 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 I get that question a lot. It was... It was uh, to me, it was unbelievability. I, I didn't believe it. It took me a while to believe what was happening. Like this is not happening type. It took me a little bit to, to kind of you know hit me that hey, what the we're in trouble here. And I tell him like avoid him, avoid him. And they push us so hard to the far right to the shoulder where they actually, you, your instinct is to avoid a crash. And they're almost hitting us mirror to mirror from vehicle to vehicle. And we uh, come to a complete stop, like an abrasive stop. Jaime puts the vehicle in park. These guys, boom, immediately spanned out like a U, U-shaped form with uh, long guns. The, the, the main guy that comes over, he, comes, he has a handgun, comes over to Jaime's door and opens the door. Like literally, when he pulls on it, he, he's expecting to not, to, for it to be locked, but it actually opens the door. And I, I'm in the passenger seat. I look over and I see him standing there with a gun. He was even surprised that the door opened. And Jaime, from that handle that I had told you about, grabs it and immediately, within less than a second, shuts it down and boom, 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 we're locking the doors. And that's where my window comes down on my sight a couple of inches. 
because the, the lock buttons are next to the window buttons on that panel. So as you're trying to hit the lock buttons, you're hitting the window down button. We're hitting the window buttons, but we didn't know. We didn't know that. The window comes down a couple of inches. I mean, maybe two inches, and we don't know. Now, I am... Your, your car ahead. has dip tags on it. I'm looking at pictures of your car here on the internet as we're talking. It's got diplomatic tags. It's it looks got, like it's got you know, flashing lights tags. in the grill. It's got uh, yeah, strobe lights on the grill. It has a PA system that doesn't work because they hadn't fixed it mm. and they hadn't replaced the speaker. It has a GPS tracking device for distress uh, as a distress signal. Mm -hmm. uh, I hit that distress signal and it did work. Oh, okay. Eight hours later. Oh. <laughs> Say again. <laughs> what? The distress, the GPS distress signal that was installed in these Suburbans is a distress signal that sends an immediate siren to an office in Washington, D.C., then su submits to that a GPS tracking signal to give your location of where you're at if you're in distress. It's a toggle switch. I hit it, and it, send, it did send the message, and it sent the siren to Washington, D.C., eight hours after the shooting. What caused the delay? It didn't work. It just did not oh, work. Okay, okay, um, okay. It had already been... Had been malfunctioning. We had told them, listen, the little light is flashing red. It flashes green. It flashes yellow. Yeah. You know, equipment and failures. I mean, we had to we had to beg for money to replace the brakes on the Suburbans because Mexico is so hilly. Yeah, you go through brakes so on those heavy. armored vehicles. Yeah. Were you equipped We're with any kind to... of an internal, uh, with a radio system at all? No, just our cell phones. Uh, the PA system that I could have talked to these guys did not work because the siren had blown in my suburban. So the siren, the, 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 the sound and all that didn't, did not work. Uh, we're with, we have our hands like plastered almost to the front windshield. Uh -huh. And we're like, we're yelling. I'm yelling at them because Hyman, Hyman never said a word to them. We just like this. And I said, we're Americans. We're diplomats. This is a diplomatic vehicle. We're from the U S embassy in Mexico city. It, you're confusing us, whoever you think that we are. We're not. We're Americans over and over and over. Get the F and out, all in Spanish. Get out, get out, open the door, get out. No, 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 no. Yelling, let me introduce myself. Let me, let, let me identify myself. I had my black passport in my backpack. I thought, let me, let me get it. No, 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 don't reach for anything. We have our hands up. Can't grab my, my diplomatic passport. Like, we're not who you think we are. Americans, Americans, Americans. How are these guys dressed? Uh, do they, are they just jeans and stuff? Hoods over their Very, face? What? No. N not covered. They're not in any military or black kind of military. Nothing. They're in jeans, tennis shoes, and T-shirts. Very, very clean-cut individuals. So they didn't care if you could identify them or see them or not? They didn't care. What does that tell you? The uh, impunity in Mexico, they, they, they control that area. It's theirs. Yeah. It, it belongs to them. We're the intruders there. Um, and yes, they knew that we were Americans. And I'll tell you, because they testified years later in the trial, they, they, in fact, they did hear me say that we were Americans. They thought they had killed the U.S. ambassador. That's how, that's how clearly my message was that we were Americans. Uh, and they still decided to open fire when in the past we had this unwritten rule in Mexico especially after Kiki Camarena was murdered in 1985, that the cartels don't mess with U.S. law enforcement. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a protection that we kind of, a false protection now, that we kind of, you know, covered ourselves with that means nothing now because the cartels have, again, then broken that their own, their own rule. Oh, we're going to get the wrath of the government, of the U.S. government to come take us down. They don't fear 
U.S. law enforcement anymore. They don't fear, forget Mexican. They don't fear them. And that day, they could have said, oh, shit, these are Americans. It is not who we are. Let's get the hell out of here. They could have said that. As a matter of fact, it happened. It happens a lot in Mexico where other DEA, FBI agents, and even ICE agents have been held mm -hmm. at gunpoint in different parts of the country by cartel members, and they ID themselves, and they're like, oh, get the hell out of here, and they leave them alone. Not that day. What? Why? I mean, we'll probably get into that too. But um, was the was the object the vehicle? No, absolutely not. And that's the if you believe that rhetoric, I have a. I have a bridge to sell you. <laughs> uh, there's plenty um, of bridges down there. That's what I'm saying is that because um, what what we want to do, a lot of people that are hearing this are going to get your book afterwards. So I doubt yes. very many people have read your book beforehand. So what we want to do is I'm acting. Steve's read the book. I'm acting as the uh, as the uh, person who's listening to this for the first time. So if they weren't after the vehicle, what were they after? They, they were after to kill Americans, not Victor Avila, not Jaime Zapata. But they were going to kill Americans that day. Mm. Wow. They did. They knew it. They did. So They knew it. They had plenty of opportunity. This is not a, a shooting that happened in seven seconds. It was over. They had plenty That's of opportunity to back away. Plenty. Plenty. It, I mean, you could this, see the tags. Was, I mean, it was obvious. Oh, you, they were, you were telling them. How long I mean, before the first shot is even fired? How long from the time that you come over the hill and you see them until mm -hmm. that first shot's fired? How long of a time are we talking about from the time you, you see them and they, they bring you to a stop and then from the stop to the first shot? How, what kind of time frame? I would say about I would say about a good two minutes. And if you know anything about law enforcement, that's a long that time. That is a long time. That is an eternity. That is an eternity. And so it was literally yelling back and forth. And then, oh, so then he, the door closes, the window comes open. We're yelling, yelling, yelling. I'm, I'm directing myself to the, the, the guy that's kind of directing the group. And he's by Jaime's door. And I'm yelling at him. Jaime's sitting next to me. I'm yelling, kind of going like this. And then he shoots. He lets out rounds towards like the front uh, tire front fender area of the Suburban, and he goes, boom, 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 boom. I don't remember how many rounds, but he shoots several. And that's the very first time that, I, I, I think I might have, I don't remember, but I said, I said, did he fucking shoot at the, like, did he shoot at the Suburban? Like, it, it was so surreal that it took me, I, I couldn't comprehend what was happening. Not that I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't, I didn't want to accept that that was happening. Did I, did he just like in, Fucking shoot at the door! It's like, are you kidding me? You're doing this. So, did he was were the rounds those first set of rounds actually impacting it, or were they? Yeah. Was, okay. No, he hit. He hit the boom, boom, boom. He shot Could the door. Could you feel it inside? No. No. Yeah. And then he shot towards the 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 the, the uh, tire. So I'm thinking, oh, this guy's want. They're gonna flatten the tire, so we're not going anywhere. And in the middle of that commotion, two of them. You know, they're kind of in a semicircle in front of them. Two of them come to my window, grab my attention. I, I look over them and boom, they see the open window and they op they introduce an AK and a handgun by my head. And I immediately brace myself like as much as I could make myself smaller into the seat. Remember, the boxes are right next to me mm -hmm. all the way back. We couldn't jump to the back of the Suburban. Uh, and so I brace myself to the post and I get... I put my finger on the window button and the window goes up and it catches the bo both barrels of gun of the, bo of the two guns and they start wiggling the guns 
and I see the guy wiggling the AK from the butt of the rifle up and down, and the guy's doing the same thing with his gun, doing this, and I'm kind of like this, and without notice, they open fire into the cabin of the Suburban. And I have hearing loss in my left ear because they're sh literally shooting like this. And I'm looking at Jaime get hit on his right side on his torso area. I get hit once in my chest, once in my leg. But I, I didn't know I had gotten hit. I, I, there was a lot of the rounds are flying all over the place. I have a lot of shrapnel and glass that's cutting my face. And so I'm kind of bleeding. And I'm cleaning my face. And I see Jaime get hit with... Um, he gets shot with an AK-47 round in his left leg, and he was uh, bleeding profusely. And you know, this this part is kind of you know kind of fast. Mm -hmm. And then they pull the the guns out, and somehow I still have my finger in there. Uh, and the 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 window goes up. Before that, by the way, I grabbed the handgun. I tried to wiggle it from the guy, and it burned the heck out of my finger, my index finger, and my thumb. Trying to trying to stop them from doing it, the windows then eventually go up and they just start shooting, spraying the suburban with gunfire on my side, and I tell Jaime go 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 go, and I grab the the gear shift and I slam it down to drive, and he puts his foot on the gas and he's already starting to become a bit unresponsive and I push his knee on the gas and it we ram and crash their SUV that's blocking us in the front. I'm trying to get back on Highway 57. Get off the X, right? Just get off and try to go. But we do get off, but the vehicle just rolls from the right shoulder, the two lanes, into the median, the grassy area. I grab the steering wheel and steer the Suburban, try to get it back on Highway 57, and that's where it ends. That's where you see the picture of where the Suburban stops. They're, this whole time they're shooting at it, by the way. Time is becoming unresponsive. He does yell, I'm shot. Uh, he yells, I'm going to die. He says, you're not going to die. I'm calling for help right now. I get my Nextel radio phone. It doesn't work. It has no signal. I slam it on the floorboard. I pick up my BlackBerry phone, and I call the embassy. And that phone call is online if you guys want to listen to well, it. Hang on a second. It's embassy. It's switch office. Victor, Victor, we got a shot. We got a shot. We are on the highway of Querétaro. Mexico, we've been shot and attacked on the highway. I am an ICE special agent. What is your name, you said, sir? Victor Aguilar, please call Jerry Miles. I don't have another phone. So what did you Please call Jerry Miles. We've been shot on the highway. Highway? What is the highway, sir? To where? Mexico, Querétaro. They know where I'm at. Uh, okay. Try to remain online, please. So as you can see in that call, and I never never used the term Highway 57 because we never called it Highway 57. We called it according to the nearest state that we were at, Mexico, Querétaro, Mexico, San Luis Potosí, Mexico. That's how we referred to the to that highway. But uh, Jerry Miles is the attache, uh, the the head of the whole office. I asked him to call him. Um, they know where I'm at. They they don't know where I'm at. Nobody knows where I'm at. Uh, I the call gets routed to the regional security office, which is the office of the diplomatic security special agents mm -hmm. in an embassy. They have this agency where they oversee the security of the ambassador and all that. And they also do their own investigations. Um, they answer the phone. It happens to be a, a temporary receptionist and she gets the phone, doesn't know what to say. She drops the phone, runs down the hallway 
and yells, there's a special agent, Victor Avila, has been shot. My wife works there. She's five feet away. Mm. Mm. She comes out of the office and says, what the heck did you just say? There's an a She didn't know, obviously, that that was my wife. He says, there's an agent, Avila, that's been shot. And my wife goes into distress. She literally starts throwing up. Uh, one of the diplomatic security special agents gets on the line. One of my friends, Eddie, uh, didn't mean to say his friend, his name, but a good friend of mine. And he's like, where the hell are you? And I, I'm yelling at him. And uh, uh, there's a lot of commotion. So when the SUVs took off, they took off, by the way. But one of them made a U-turn and came back and parked right in front of me, right in front of the Suburban. And two of them came out with AK-47s. They stared at me right in front of the hood area. And they, I stared at them. They stared at me. And they just opened fire with the AK-47. And you see the picture there, mm-hmm. Murph, the, the two white... They're trying to penetrate the armored glass, uh, the bulletproof glass, and they're shooting. And I'm just, you know, at that point, I'm just kind of frozen. And then they run thinking, I think they think that I'm dead at this point, And they take off. Uh, that's when the calls came in. Eventually, I get in a call where it gets routed to a bunch of people. Uh, I then call the only person in the Mexican Federal Police that I trust. And that's the, high, the guy that's head of our vetted unit, the commander. I call him. He was able to dispatch a helicopter, and the helicopter's dispatched from Mexico City. But now, this is 40 minutes before anyone shows up. And there's a lot of things that happen in between those 40 minutes. I'm, I'm attending to Jaime. Um, I'm trying to stop the bleeding. Um, he, he's almost unconscious at that point. Well, can you detect um, that he's been shot at? You said he was shot in the leg. Was there any other, yeah. any other wounds you could detect when you were doing the triage? Yes. Yes, he was shot multiple times in his uh, torso area from the, if you imagine it from the window coming down, like the armpit area down to the rib area. And I could see that, but it's the one that I was concerned with is a leg and because that was the most devastating shot. um, Because it hit the femoral artery? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, My, my, one of my friends, an agent that was at the ICE office, uh, he gets on the line and he says, are you shot? Are you shot? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. Because I have a lot of blood on me. It's Jaime's blood is my blood. And he says, you got to check yourself. You got to physically check. And he used to be an EMT. And I said, okay. And because uh, I have, I'm kind of clearing my face. Right. And, and, and then finally, that's the first time I see the shot from my chest. And I see the blood literally streaming from the, down from the nipple area, all the way down to my, to my jeans, like soaked. And then I looked at my leg and I said, holy shit. Uh, that's it. I'm done. <clears throat> it wasn't the same shot because I got shot with the handgun. Um, and I got shot in the, uh, another shot in the, by my shin and the lower part of like that one. I didn't even know until we got to the hospital. But um, so then he says, take off your belt, take off your belt and, and cinch it, cinch it all the way up. And I did and made a tourniquet off of my belt on my leg. Um, and then I was on the phone with the helicopter pilot, with the police, with the ICE, with all these people. And I told my friend, I said, whoever you're going to send over here, it better be somebody that we could trust because I'm not just going to go anywhere. I was, I was then, people asked me, were you, were you scared? I was not scared. I didn't feel anything. I was, I was, the adrenaline was so, so high that I didn't have that time. And it wasn't until we got rescued, believe it or not, that the Mexican military and the Mexican federal police showed up that, and then the helicopter landed right there on Highway 57 that the panic started to hit for me because then I thought, okay, this is it. 
they're going to know that I'm alive and they're going to kill me. In Mexico, you kill anybody and nobody knows who killed who, who shot who. They, they could easily, a military guy would shoot me right there and there. And they would have said he got, he was dead from mm -hmm. the original shooting. Mm -hmm. And that's where I became, I use the word petrified. I was so, so scared to go to the hospital. I was on the phone with the, the Mexican federal police and I said, please, we're all, all you do, please, just please send me some uh, backup that, that is going to defend me, that's going to protect me, not not corrupt police officers that are going to kill me. And so they fly Jaime and I in this helicopter to the town of San Luis Potosí, and they're in the hospital there. Uh, they take Jaime into one uh, trauma room. They take me into another. By the way, I grabbed my guns. Um, I threw them in the backpack. I threw all the phones in there. And I, I remember yelling at, at the staff, like, nobody fucking touches my bag. That bag doesn't leave my sight. And they're like, okay. They, the, the, the hospital didn't know that we were Americans. They assumed that we were Mexican federal police, like undercover or something, because we didn't wear any, wear any uniform. And I didn't give them my name. And I wasn't going to give them my name because I, I was convinced that I was going to get killed in that hospital. That's, that's how scared I was. Well, and uh, just one thing I, that I, I, didn't, I refused medication and all that. I remember reading in the book before the helicopter get, got there, an ambulance came out to you guys, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Marisol. During the 40-minute the, the wait, there's this ambulance that shows up to the right shoulder of the, of the Suburban on the other side of Highway 57. You know, it, it, you know the shape of a, of a, when you see an ambulance, it's a, it's a vehicle that used to be an ambulance. It doesn't have any special markings on it. And this guy comes over. By then, I already have my guns, one in my waistband, and I'm pointing the other one at him. And he's, he's like, open the door, and I'm here to help you. I'm like, fuck you. I'm like, open the door, and I'm going to shoot you right here. Open the door, and I'm going to shoot you. And he's like, no, 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 I'm here to help. Da, da, da. It turns out that that was those setas. That's their own ambulance. Mm -mm -mm. That's the ambulance that they use when they, they actually are patrolling the areas to help their own when they get shot in these uh, confrontations with the police and, and military. You know, so I'm so glad I didn't open the door with it to, to that. And the reason I wanted to point that out is is you're you're telling us you're petrified, you're scared, you're in fear for your life, which is exactly what kept you alive. Because you, did. you see an ambulance show up. We're used to here in the United States, an ambulance shows up, that's the good guys coming to help you. But you, oh, yeah. your fear is what kept you alive. You had the presence of mind to make the right decision there. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, then another guy showed up uh, a little while later, the state police guy on the other side. And that, that had a very clear vision because it didn't have uh, – over here is very limited with all the shooting on the window and the glass on the armored window. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, I see this state police guy. And the state police are very – he's wearing a polo shirt with a patch badge and uh, jeans. And he's coming around, and I'm flanking him from my, with my Glock. Mm -hmm. I said, come over, motherfucker. Come over, and I'll just blow you right here. And he – Open the door. I'm here to help you. And, uh, uh, and I said, open the door. Open it. Sorry, Skippy. I've been through this already. We ain't doing it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he can't see me. The, I, can't, I could barely see him, but he can't see me pointing the gun at him. That's how it's shot up. And um, he eventually just leaves. And, uh, and so then eventually the, everybody shows up. We end at the hospital. I refuse any medication because I'm thinking they're going to just pump me with something. And I'm going to fall asleep. And I'm done. How soon before... Your own folks show up. How soon before you've got Americans there to where you know, hey, I've got some help here now? When's the first time an American shows up? Showed up at the hospital around, the shooting happened at 2.15. Showed up at the hospital close to 3. The first American showed up around 7.30 p.m. Coming from okay, where? I, 
from Mexico City. But here's a, here's the thing: before him, the number two in command of the Me- of the Mexican Federal Police flew in 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 the Black Hawk, Hawk helicopter. But we had already taken the the helipad uh, from the hospital, so he landed the the Black Hawk. They landed it right there in the grassy area, shook the whole building. This guy comes in. I'm at bedside. He comes in with the phone with a picture of a blue suburban. And he tells me, we know that you were confused. Uh, it looks like these guys thought that you were police uh, agents. Look, look, look at the, what the uh, police officer drives. He just drives his blue suburban. And I told him, first of all, that, that is a blue suburban, but that's not my blue suburban. It looks nothing like it. And so they're trying to set up the narrative, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. I know this guy. I've had lunch with him. We had a huge meeting with him. I had a meeting with him, members of the Mexican Congress, all having to do with human trafficking and some other things they wanted to do. And I told him, hey, Luis, don't you remember me? And he looked at me and I said, we had lunch at the sushi restaurant in Santa Fe. And you should have seen his face. He's like, holy shit. Mm. He turned around and left. <laughs> that individual right now is in custody in Mexico City as a Sinaloa cartel member. Oh, man. And, and wasn't he the number two? He was the number two. Yep, in that wow. agency. There are, not, there are not enough words that I can use that have profanity in them to express. <laughs> and I'm sorry, this is probably the one that, uh, podcast that I probably use the most, but it's... Uh, well, d- it's, it's real. That's what I, um, and that's the, the words that I used. Yeah. Well, we're ta- well, that's, you're talking that's... to brothers here. You're talking to brothers. This is family. Yeah, and, you know, and this is one of the reasons why we like doing the longer form stuff, because it's not just the hit, you know, we just want to hit the high points. Okay, you had this, you got shot. Great. How are you doing now? Okay, thank you very much. We're not into 30 minute podcasts. That's for other folks. This is really where we get down. And, and it's just like, but I, I got to tell you, what was the explanation for why the the alert goes out. You say two fifteen, and it is what seven thirty at night before you see an American face. What gives? Yes. What, what 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 takes? They couldn't get. They couldn't get transportation. Oh they please! Couldn't get... How close is the hospital to where uh, you were based out of in Mexico City? Uh, driving time. It's well, we're 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 ways ways out of Mexico City. We're about four and a half five hours away from Mexico City. Mm-hmm. But you, you had to fly there to respond. But I'm, what I'm saying is, well, the Mexican police responded. That was my whole point. Yeah. You, you don't tell me if you wanted to get out there, you couldn't commandeer, get yourself a Black Hawk or something. America's yes. got assets down there. Yes. The ambassador could have said, get these guys yes. on an airship and out there right now. Correct. And and it took that long. So the first the first guy, a uh, dear friend of mine, they send an ERO. ICE has two divisions, HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, the special agents, and the other part of ICE that you hear a lot about in the news is the enforcement removal operations, the deportation guys. Mm -hmm. And we had one of those guys assigned to our office. That's the guy that showed up. He's a good, good friend of mine. And let me tell you, when I saw him, it was a sight for sore eyes when I saw him. He walked in that hospital room. It was a sight of relief, and I wanted to fucking kiss him because I'm a uh, Mexican-American from that heritage and i felt like the most foreigner most foreign person ever and i felt so lonely being from that heritage that i could have been in china for all intents and purposes and i was the loneliest person on that road and i'm i'm not from there i wasn't born there i'm not a mexican i'm an american it doesn't mean that i ignore my heritage right it has nothing to do with that i'm from here from the united states of america 
And that day was very, very profound. And I, and I've been a patriot in my life, but boy, you tell me after that, uh, you feel, you feel it, you feel it in your heart, oh, yeah. you feel it in your head. And so he, the, uh, this guy, uh, he shows up, we start talking and eventually everybody shows up. The DEA did incredible work. DEA, a secret service, uh, U.S. Marshals, FBI starts taking statements, all that. And then all of a sudden, reality sets in that you are, in fact, in a foreign country. And the chatter starts coming in that two things. One, they know where you live in Mexico City. And now my family are possibly in danger. So they give, tell my, my wife is already with agents there. They give her one hour, pack a bag, let's get the hell out of here. My wife literally packs a bag throwing stuff in there. They take her to a hotel, my and my kids, and they secure them in an unknown location. At the same time, back here in San Luis Potosí, they don't want to release Jaime's body. And they don't want to release me. When did you, the Mexican the Mexican government? Yeah, let's before we get too far into this, let's back up a little bit. How soon after you were shot, your wife heard that, you know, when the word came in that you were shot, how soon before you had the chance to talk to her? That um Probably at about the same time when the Americans came in, um, about that, about, probably about that same time, about seven o'clock, I was able to call her from the cell, one of my cell phones and uh, talk to her and tell her that I was alive. When did you, when did you learn about Jamie or I mean, Jaime? A doctor came, one of the doctors came and told me, um, in Spanish, in Spanish, it's pro appropriate, but I didn't like the words that he used. He says, your partner has expired in, in Spanish, it's expiro, which is which is protocol. I mean, the way you say it, yeah, I would have heard, I'd rather say he passed away or something. I didn't like it the way he described it. And I told him, please treat him with dignity and respect. And he said, I will. What time was and, that? <clears throat> you know, that was way before the Americans showed up. That was like almost, almost right away after we had been in the hospital, I was still in the trauma room and he came in and basically told me that. Uh, so that was within an hour or so, probably. I don't remember the exact time, but it was right away. When did he make it? Well, I'm sorry, did he make it at least to the hospital before he died? Or do you think he died on the way? I don't know. Okay. When the, at what point did the hospital staff find out that you were Americans? Until the 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 backup came from the Mex the Mexican federal police show sent their elite. This is not. This is like. Think of the SWAT team, but like on steroids, you know, mm -hmm. we were talking about the incident in Collaville, you know, they send that specialized team from FBI. Yeah, the HRT, that's the yeah. That, yeah, that's the type that showed up like heavy duty, heavily armed. And they secured the whole hospital and they come in through the doors and I see them from the room that I'm at and they come in and like, they're all covered up and Victor Avila. I said, yes, I'm here on direct orders from the commander that I was talking to. You are safe. No one's going to hurt you. You, no one's going to come into this hospital. We have control, operational control of this building. And that's the first time I, I breathed a little sigh of relief. But then what I did is I kind of went off a little bit on the staff. And I said, listen, I'm an American. I'm a U.S. special agent with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And I'm sorry. No, this is emotional. That's, it's emotional for me listening to your story. It, this is hard to listen to. It, it just... Thank the good Lord you're it's, here telling um, your story to us. It's, uh, I was proud. Mm -hmm. I was proud to tell him who I was. And I wanted to tell him who I was, and I did. 
But I remember kind of shouting at, at shouting at them and telling them, "This is who I fucking I am. This is who I am. Yep. This is who I am. I'm representing my country here." And they were treating as well. There's nothing wrong with the hospital. Let me tell you, they, they did. You could see the reaction in their faces, like, "Oh shit, we have a." We have an international incident in our hands here. We're, they're not Mexicans. These guys are Americans, and we haven't seen that ever. Yeah. And you, it did change the atmosphere of the hospital. It didn't change the treatment. They, they had an incredible team, and they took really good care of me. And I'll tell you why I know that. Because the, the hospital, and I'll, I'll go into this. When I ended up in Houston, the chief surgeon in Houston knew the knew the, the the doctor that treated me in Mexico, which is kind of weird, right? They had been at a conference and he said, Victor, you you were actually in very good hands. And I was. They treated me very well. Uh, but nevertheless, once the security got there and the U.S. military and helicopters, and you could imagine, the hospital staff was like, what in the heck is just going on yeah. here? And, um, but I, I want to kind of go into what, all of a sudden you realize that you're not in the United States and the rules and the laws are different. And all of a sudden, I'm detained. I'm not free to go. You're detained by who? The, the, well, the Mexican federal police want to, not the federal police, the PGR, the prosecutor, which is really the ones who run the cases in Mexico. They want to detain me or they, they don't want to let me go. I'm not, they, they don't want me to go anywhere because since I am now involved in a shooting and I'm a witness to the shooting and all this thing, you know, you gotta, you gotta remember in Mexico, it's, uh, it's backwards. Uh, I might be liable here. There's, in Mexico, if you, if you crash into somebody, it's a criminal offense, not like, like the U S where it's a civil offense. Mm-hmm. And so our U S team is like, Oh, uh Oh, what the hell's going on here? Even though, I have diplomatic. I was about to say that. Look, you, you, you can say you want to detain me, but I've got something here that says I have diplomatic immunity. Um, you, you can, under law and stuff, they can kind of hold you for a little bit. But when they, when they make a demand, when the ambassador makes a demand, the embassy makes a demand, says return our guy, you basically, uh, at least under international law, you got to return the diplomat. Otherwise, you know what happens? Is we say, no, you do that to us, we'll do that to you. You will have no and diplomatic a, immunity. And, and that conversation was happening. And it got, and it was starting to get tense. Diplo- you heard the diplomatic immunity conversation and what level does he have and, and da, 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 da. And so the U.S. government is like, uh-uh, we're not going to deal with this shit. And they, we're going to take both of them out of here. And so they call a DEA plane. Thanks God for DEA. DEA sends a plane, I think from Miami. Hmm. And it, it shows up and it, it lands there in San Luis Potosí. Uh, my, my doc, my, the U S embassy came in, the U S embassy doctor came with the whole people and that he's now taking care of me. And he's like, listen, Victor, you, you're high, your blood pressure is through the roof, man. You're going to have a fucking heart attack. Uh, you, you, you gotta calm down. I need to give you some medication. Cause I didn't want any, right. I didn't want it. He says, I gotta, I gotta bring you down, man. I said, okay, when we go on the plane, I'll let you give me something. And so they, they got me out of there at three in the morning. Mm. And he gave me a pill and they put me on the plane off to Houston. Now, we didn't have that success with Jaime. They held Jaime's body and they didn't let, let us take him before they did the autopsy. They said, we will do the autopsy on Jaime. And we were like, no, you're not. It's, it's, our, it's ours. But we lost that battle right there. And they performed the autopsy on Jaime there. 
Then they turned over the body. And that goes back to that discussion we're having, because he was over on an official passport, not a diplomatic passport, and he didn't enjoy the same protections of law that you did, which actually we're going to talk about later is the aftermath of the case. This actually factors into part of a reversal of the convictions because Correct. of the lack of diplomatic status. Um, Very true. And, Very I mean, true. this, oh, man, uh, you know... It's horrific. You it's want horrible. to get mad. I don't know who to get mad at at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I'm, I was mad at a lot of people for a long time. I mean, I already went through that. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a blaming game. Who do, who do you blame? But it's it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of uh, a lot of cracks that were opened up and people fell through them. My family and I included. Jaime's family included. So we get out, show up in uh, Ben Top Hospital in Houston. They they treat me better. They treat me like continuous treatment there. Um, they fly Jaime to Dover, Maryland, and reunite them over there. And then eventually they pull my family out from Mexico City and fly them to El Paso, Texas. Then the following day, I make contact with them, and they fly me to El Paso, and we are reunited in El Paso. What is the extent of your injuries now that you've been triaged and taken care of? Where have you been shot? Um, the biggest one was in the, my leg, my leg and the top of my thigh area. And, uh, the ones, the ones in my chest is very lucky. It went in and went out and caused very little damage to my lungs or, or the top of my ribs. The bottom moment of my, on my, uh, shin area went in and came out from the bottom of the shin. So the, if you see the bone, it actually did this like a U, mm -hmm. um, the one on my leg is still in there. I still have my bullet in my leg because there was just so much trauma to have. Uh, when it went in, they're like, they cleaned it all up and did all that and said, we're not going to pull it out because if we go in there and pull it out, it might cause more trauma to your leg. And we don't want to take that chance. The same doctor in Mexico said the same thing. And the, and the surgeon in, in Houston agreed with them. And 10 years later, I still have it. I, I get an x-ray once a year, make sure it hasn't moved. It's, it's encapsulated in scar tissue. And there it is. When you take a picture of it, it's there. Was it an AK-47 round, or of the? No, it was, a, it was, an, it was an, the pistol. It was, a, the, it was a handgun. Yeah, it was a handgun. What caliber was, was it? I think it was a. I don't know. I don't know. If it was a nine or a forty. Uh, there's a big confusion of what it was. Um, I don't know. if It was a nine or a forty. Hmm. Okay. Well, still, no matter. It's it's like. Were you hit? Do you think um, Jaime got hit with the AK-47? Were you hit with any AK-47 rounds, or were they all pistol rounds? They were all pistol rounds, and I had a lot of uh, shrapnel and glass because I yeah. was right next to the glass. And so I have a little bit... Uh, <clears throat> I have the scar on my finger. You know what's funny? When I got to the hospital, um, my hand was hurting. It was burning. It was it was pink because it was all burned. On my finger was my the, my skin had peeled off when I grabbed the handgun, mm. and so the people asked me what was hurting your your leg. You got shot? No, was, I was looking at this hand. It stung like a like. Please, somebody take care of this burning hand because it had burned. And uh, so I have scar here. I have a scar on my um on my lid. I guess where I closed my eyes and it got cut. Yeah. So I have reminders of scars like that. Hey, quick question on the suburban. Um, how many times did that suburban get shot and and did any of the rounds penetrate the Suburban? Great question. Over 100 rounds and a lot of rounds penetrated. A lot of people think, well, it's an armored vehicle. It's not going to come in. Yeah, a lot of them still came in, uh, and some of them were lodged in the boxes. And 
through the boxes, through the lodge in our back seat. Wow. So those those also protected me and Jaime from getting shot from the back. Jeez. And so now you're back in El Paso, but your ordeal's not over, is it? It's you're back in the United States, you're ready to be it's taken like care of. Just like it's just starting. You're not kidding. Hell is is about to start. Um people ask me what what was worse, the shooting or the aftermath? The aftermath. Because the aftermath, the shooting, you know, all that was 40 minutes whatever it was. And and we went through that. The aftermath lasted for years. Mhm. Um, so much that I had to, and I ended up taking a medical retirement in 2015 and, and it was because they didn't want me back at work. They didn't want me. I didn't realize that I had lost my career and I was never going to be a special agent the day I got shot. And I got to tell you something. I just, it just allowed me to connect a dot because I'm sitting here thinking why, and we're going to talk about this too, because there's a couple references here to weapons that come out of fast and furious. We want to talk about that. Um, but it just hit me with the information that you just disclosed to us on the, and folks, we're not here. We're, we're not the news organization. And now we're disclosing it, you know, exclusively only on now. We had no idea going into this podcast that you were going to tell us that, but all of a sudden it just hit me is that why did they target you the way that they did? And all of a sudden it goes back to the conversation we had about what was in the boxes and who's covering up what was in the boxes, because it seems to me who's ever involved in jamming this down your throat um, is also got some kind of connection to the boxes, either directly or indirectly through people that they it's theirs or work for them. Am I close off? Where am I at? You are hitting the head on the nail because we, we made it about, we, my family and I tried to wrap our heads around it. Why are they retaliating against us? What did I do to them? All I did was get shot. Why are we being treated this way? It's because we filed a lawsuit against them. Everybody sues everybody in the country. This is the this is our system. I sued them for negligence. And I thought maybe it's because I filed a lawsuit. Maybe it's because of Fast and Furious. Two of the weapons recovered are part of Operation Fast and Furious out of Texas. Which that's a fact. A couple of the weapons, where did they recover these weapons at? Uh when they arrested the Zeta members. And so I'll, I'll kind of go back a little bit yep. here. So a, there was a big a launch of law enforcement that was, you know, activity that was sent out and on the U.S. side and the Mexican side, and they did an incredible job. They picked these guys up, and during the time they picked them up, they recovered these weapons, and sure enough, two of them, guess what? Coming out of, uh, you know, Texas under the watch of the ATF that were walked into Mexico into the hands of the Zeta cartel, just like the the ones that killed Agent Brian, Brian Terry, Terry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any in- two months two months before. Any indication that any of the weapons used on you guys that day were Fast and Furious weapons? It's linked to them, definitely. Okay. So Fast, remember, Fast and Furious started in Arizona, and it was it was to be expanded around the whole United States. This one went from Fast and Furious Arizona through New Mexico into El Paso and Dallas. It's yes, it is Fast and Furious. Yeah. So you guys, so now you've been shot. I mean, when we talk about the aftermath, there's the rehab part, which is that that's one thing. That's the physical rehab, but it's the, yes. um, but it's the, you guys normally when you're shot like that, or when you're injured in the line of duty, you take one for the team in a sense, they take care of you. It's like, where do you want to go? What kind of post do you want to do? What, what, what was the aftermath of that piece of it? I mean, you're going through rehab. Let's talk, just kind of compartmentalize it. How long does your rehab last before you're fit for return for duty? About five months, 
and uh, we're in Washington. We did do do it in D.C. because they didn't want us nowhere near uh, the U.S.-Mexican border due, due to the threat to law enforcement. That threat was still alive, and they said, go to D.C. We were okay with that. We went to D.C. Where'd you live when you were out here? Uh, we lived in Virginia and uh, we're at. Falls Church, Virginia. Falls Church. Dude, you weren't that far away. Why didn't you fucking call? We could have had coffee or something. And so it was, it was terrible. By the way, we hated it there. It wasn't. It has nothing to do with Falls Church. It has nothing to do with Virginia. Okay. It has to do with the atmosphere, of course. My my kids. This is the way. This is the way we showed up to D.C. They put me at the residence inn in Falls Church. They gave me a phone. They paid for two weeks, and they said, "You call me, and what." Whatever you need, Victor, you let me know. Call me. Okay. Oh, well, my kids need to go to school. Uh, we don't have any clothes. My wife had a bag that she had all a bunch of sh short, short sleeve shirts. It's fucking snowing outside. You're in Fairfax we don't, County. I don't have a jacket. Yeah, you're in Fairfax County. What month did you show up in Virginia? Fair, we showed up right after the funeral, like February 20-something. It was freezing. Which it's and freezing right now. It's January, yeah. So it's cold in Virginia, and you guys, all you have are clothes for Mexico City. Yes, and never went back. Never went back to the apartment. So if you leave your house today, you're never going to go back to that house. Well, what do you need? Well, you need a toothbrush. You need everything. You need everything. <laughs> My kids needed school supplies. Oh, I want to put them in the, in the school system. Well, you need an address. Well, they're not going to take the hotel address. Well, I need an apartment. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. I'm in, in my crutches, crying in my headquarters of the Office of International Affairs uh, for ICE, begging them to get me housing. You know what the response is, Victor? We don't have any funding mechanism to do that. Really? Where, where is it in the book? Show me in the book where it says that a U.S. federal agent gets killed in line duty in Mexico City. Show it to me. And they're like, well, it's not in there. That's right, because it never fucking happened. So think about doing something. Can't do it because since we don't have it, and since it doesn't exist, and since it's not written, we don't know what to do. My wife and I went into $200,000 in debt because there's no funding mechanism mm. at ICE. Mm -mm. You know, you know the very, I remember the very first at my parents' house when I went to El Paso when we showed up. The very first thing, my wife had grabbed my checkbook. That was the first expenditure, a $500 check that I wrote her. Boom, here. And got wiped out. My savings, a lot of my 401k, had to sell a property. And we were, you know, we were, we were okay financially. Had some rentals. But the money started going and going because we had to then start a new home in, in, in uh, D.C. there in Virginia. And I never got reimbursed, not one penny from the agency. I'm, I'm, I'm past that. Maybe not as to mention it, but it, uh, a lot of other people did help us. A lot of other police departments helped well, let's, us. And, and let's make a distinction here, too, because um, there is a danger. Sometimes people think that, oh, you're just pissing and moaning. No, there's a difference between it's not so much. It's You know what? You can look at an agency and go. An agency doesn't do anything. The, I mean, the FBI, HSI, DEA, they're an agency. It is, a, it is an entity. It's the people inside there that make the difference. You could have a supervisor. I guarantee you, and I, I say this with all respect, if Murph had been your boss, I guarantee you he would have moved heaven and earth That's right. to figure this shit out. They would have got, got you taken care of. So it's not 
see this thing. And what I'm saying is you're still proud of the agency. You're still proud of the work, but it's these people inside the agency. It's like when we talked to Jay Dobbins, Jay Bird, and talked about how he got treated afterwards. It's the people. And as we find out, guess what? He got screwed by a couple guys directly involved in Fast and Furious. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a thread running through here. It's not the agency. It's the, the people can make all the difference. You can make a choice to say, I'm going to bat for my people. I'm backing you up. You took one for the team. Your partner got killed. We put you in a dangerous situation. We're going to make it right. You could say that and be a member of any agency from a small department to, you know, to whatever, the biggest department, you know, it all boils down to it's, it's, it goes back to the leadership. And like you're saying, Murph, it's the leadership, it's the people inside these agencies. That's whoever claims that they quote, were a leader. They weren't, they should have been going to bat for you. No one, no one stepped up. No one stepped up. I'll tell you what, I had this conversation with, uh, ex-director Tom Homan, ex-ice director, Tom Homan, who worked under president Trump. He apologized. He said, Victor, I'm so sorry about how this agency treated you. I said, Tom, you weren't there. You weren't the director. It was, you know, the shooting happened before him. And he says, I don't care. I'm just, I'm still apologizing for them because they treated you like shit. And he, he, and he said, you know, that if I would have been there, exactly what you just said about Murph, you know, that if I would have been there, it would have been different. Of course it would have been different. And so now, now you start thinking of the, you, you start thinking it's the politics. It's the people that are in charge. They don't really care for the police. They don't, that's not their priority. Mm-hmm. And so now all they're clouded by other political ideologies or other issues and all that came into play. So the, the point is we got the short end of the stick big time. And about almost six months, five months, I, uh, I get a, I get a tip from somebody and says, Hey, you got to go to, there's an opening in Spain, go ask for it. I had, I had, well, I, I admitted this whole part. I had already been promoted from a GS-13 to a supervisory special agent in Mexico, and I was going to go open the office in Merida. We we're going to open a brand new office down there, and I was going to run that office for the remainder of my tour. And uh, a lot of people were like, well, Victor got promoted because he got shot. Fuck you. I earned that. I got promoted way before I took the test. I passed it, and I, I was promoted. As a matter of fact, Blue 52 and the other one, uh, uh, during the Hymas funeral, came to me and said, listen, don't let anybody tell you that you got promoted because you got shot because you were already promoted and you were going to open that office. I said, I know, I know, but people might not know that, but I know that as long as I know that. Anyway, right. so they said, there's an assistant attache opening in, in Spain. Go do it. And I did. I went to the director's office and I basically told him, you're going to send me and my family. We need to get the hell out of here. And we did. They gave it to me. We go to Spain. Oh, Madrid. It's beautiful. It's nice. It's a good place to be. It's an actual diplomatic post where you do do shit and you drink coffee and drink wine. And okay, I could do this. This is also, this is how it really is. You know, <laughs> this you get is how to the find other out. half lives. Yeah. yeah. And by the this way, the Spanish the wine, I mean, I've been to Barcelona, as they say over there, Barcelona. Barcelona. Yes. Yeah, uh, Gracias. Um, you know, very proper Castilian. Uh, yeah. That is, I mean, it is. It's such a beautiful area over there. Yes. Uh, and when did you get, when did you get to Madrid? Got there August 2011, and it was great. It was great. Uh, What'd your work start... consist of besides clinking, you know, drinks and having coffee? Yeah, oh, no, I, I, I made, started making contacts with the Guardia Civil and the police there. They have a lot of issues in Spain with immigration and border issues and drugs and gangs, believe it or not. They have a big issue with gangs over there. And the Basque separatists, there's some terrorism issues there as well. A lot of, a lot of counterterrorism as well, and so... It's a pretty good pose, and you could do what you want of it, right? And uh, I was doing what I what I could do of it. But what happened to me is, eight months later into that into that post, one day, 
I was going to go to work and I, and I didn't, I didn't wake, I woke up and I didn't go to work. And my wife's like, aren't you going to go to work? And I said, I, I can't. She says, what do you mean? You can't. Are you sick? I said, no, I don't want to. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? You don't want to. I did not want to get out of bed. And, I, and the way I tell you this is very, very strange for me to, to share it to you this way, because this had never happened to me in my life ever. Uh, I've never, never suffered from anything like this before in my life. So I, I couldn't understand it. And uh, I, I fell into a major, major depression. Uh, the PTSD hit me hard, just out of left, left field. Um, a lot of fear, a lot of uh, night terrors, a lot of that stuff, losing my hair and all, all these weird gain, weight gain. And so it just happened like that. Literally, the way one day it just happened to me. And I tried to uh, get some help from my agency, and that didn't happen. I went to the military attache at the U.S. Embassy. And I, because I know the soldiers go through this, I said, these guys had to have some resources. And sure enough, I go up to the military attache's office and I say, listen, I need some help here. Something's going on with me. I need to do some counseling or talk to somebody. And he says, oh, we have a great program, Victor. As a matter of fact, it's a PTSD program down in Rhoda, south. Of, I said, yeah, I'll do it. Let me see if I could set it up with my agency. I said, why, why, isn't your, why are you coming here? I said, because my agency doesn't do anything. I'll, I know you guys have these programs. Well, we'll, we'll try to do something. <laughs> well, before I even get back to my office on the different floor, he had already called my boss and told him there's something wrong with Victor. You know, and that's the part with people don't understand with PTSD. There's a very different types of PTSD. I never had the PTSD where I wanted to hurt anybody or hurt myself. It was just for me, it was very physically manifested PTSD, depression and anxiety type of PTSD. And I felt, I, I felt violated by that, <laughs> the military attache. I go, I told you this stuff in confidence, man. That's for you to go call my boss and tell him. So all of a sudden, take his gun, take his car, uh, erase his email, and I tell my boss, I need, I need a, few, a few months off here. I have, can I go on workers' comp? How does this work? Denied workers' comp. You can't be on workers' comp because you're in Madrid. Lie. Yes, you can. The State Department people do it all the time. So they lie to me. So I use my own annual leave vacation time and my own sick leave to take care of my work-related injury. And the reason why I have a bunch of hours is because I never called in sick. I had like a thousand hours and I had a lot of vacation time because uh, I never took a lot of vacation. I was a good employee. Well, I had to end up using my own time to go to the counseling to try to get better. Uh, I joined a, a, a gymnasium to try to start losing weight and, to, and all these things. And I, that, that's all happening in, in Spain. And they're like, uh, one day, on, uh, on my birthday, the following year, August of 2012, on my 40th birthday, they, the, my director of ISIS says, you got to go. You got to leave Spain. And I said, why? Well, set up and he that, says, the, tell, how you, tell, tell the listeners how that actually happened. Where were you? What were you getting ready to do? I was in Puerto Rico. My family and I went to Puerto Rico. We had been invited by the ICE Hispanic American Association uh, organization, they were going to honor me and give me a, an award. And they flew us all out there. And the director was there and it was this huge event, a luncheon, and I was going to speak. And we were, we, were, we were nice that it was a nice recognition. My wife and I were there. The kids were out by the pool and we are there and 
right before I actually go get the award, my director comes to me and says, hey, by the way, you have to leave Spain. And I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, the ambassador doesn't want you there. You have to get out. And I said, okay. And then, by the way, welcome, Victor. Thank you so much. And I go up there to get the award. <laughs> this is like, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. And I get, the, I get the award, and my wife then, we're confused. We fly back to Madrid, and they're like, pick a city. Hurry up. Pick a city. Where do you want to go? I said, I don't want to go anywhere. I have, this is a three-year tour, and I've only been here 19 months. And it's, uh, it's October, September. It's now September. I don't want to go anywhere. I, want to finish. I don't want to pull my kids in the middle of the school year again and go through that. Nope. You got to go. Oh, by the way, I went up to the ambassador's office and asked, why do you want to kick me out? What did I do to you? He's like, it's not me. The ambassador doesn't care. We don't care if you're here 10 years. It's your agency that doesn't want you here, Victor. It's ICE mm-hmm. well, that doesn't want you here. The ambassador basically didn't even know who you were, right? He's he like, didn't care. Victor, he didn't who? know who I was. Yeah, he didn't know who I was. He didn't. It's like, it's not us. Believe me, we don't care if you live here or don't live here. It's not us. That's your agency asking to curtail you. So I fight it. They issue me a three-hour letter, which is very bad in our, in our line of work. It's either you resign, you retire, or you relocate. And that letter is usually issued to an agent that has committed a crime or violated major policy at work. And I had not done neither of those. And so, uh, well, I'm not going to re- resign. Uh, I guess I'm not going to retire. I guess I'll relocate. And they said, okay, well, where are you going to go? Well, I want to go to San Antonio, Texas. Wherever you want to go, Victor. I want to go to San Antonio. You don't want to go there. Well, okay, I want to go to Austin. Nope, nope, nope. It's a small office. Well, I want to go to Flagstaff, Arizona. Well, shit, well, where? It ended up being either Tampa or Denver, and we chose Denver. And uh, (laughs) they wanted me to show up on December 23rd. Of 2012, I said, you guys are nuts. I'm not showing up to a hotel two days before Christmas, a place that I never, to live. And I fought that one. I, I won that one to at least let me show up till the following year on, on January 19th. By the way, I had to, uh, you know how hard it is to move from one country to another? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, my wife and I are going nuts trying to get a moving company to come pack our stuff get it shipped, our car, oh my God, it's a nightmare. Kids out of school, re- enroll them somewhere uh, in Colorado. Where am I going to live? I'm calling agents over there. Where do I buy a house? I'm not going to put my kids in an apartment. I'm, I, I cleaned out my bank account. I'm going to go buy a, a house. I went and bought a house. It, it was nuts. It was nuts. So anyway, we ended up there. Never actually worked in Denver. I did show up a couple of times. They had me on I was at work. I was at home receiving a paycheck, but I was already erased from the system. I didn't have my call. My call sign was erased. My email was erased. They had already taken my guns. They had already taken the G-Rite. Um, and they wanted to take my badge. And I told you, you're not going to take that one. You will take it from my dead, cold hands. And the <laughs> agents that went to the house were very respectful. They're like, hey, we're not going to take your badges. I said, well, I wasn't going to give them to you anyway. I earned these credentials. And, uh, and so I was in a very awkward situation there in Denver until I finally started getting some advice from uh, Congress men and women that I knew. I, I just was trying to get some relief. Eventually they said, you got to try to retire, Victor. Let's just try to separate. Uh, I, I tried for an early retirement, which would have given me a little bit more money. They denied that. I went through a medical route 
and that's a nightmare through Social Security. You can imagine. It took me six months, five to six months to get all the paperwork in order, email, all that online. Got it done. Went through ICE. They accepted it. Send it over to OPM, Office of Personal Management. They give you a number. Takes them about a year to review. I didn't wait that long. I sent that information to Congressman Michael McCall out of Texas, and he sent a congressional inquiry, and 45 days later, I was medically uh, retired in May of 2015. So what So what? What did you do during that time in Denver? I mean, you're collecting <clears throat> well, a got, paycheck, right? Yeah, I was collecting a paycheck. It, it was very weird. I, um, I'll tell you what I did. I reunited with my kids. I reunited with my family. Good. I hadn't seen them in a long time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm grilling for them. I'm spending, I'm, I'm going to my son's soccer games. I'm getting better. I'm going to therapy. I'm losing weight. I'm, 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 I'm getting better. That's what I did. That's what I did in Denver. I rehabbed the other part. A lot of people don't, they rehab the physical part, but they forget that they have to rehab the, the emotional and mental part. Right. And I did. And, and, and we made some great friends in our neighborhood. It was actually ended up being a great post, believe it or not, to be in Denver. Unfortunately, I never actually really worked the office there, but uh, then I, I start thinking, I, you know, I, then I start, you know, this is enough. I'm, I'm going to start talking because they had kept me shut for a long time, uh, not to say anything. And I start exploring and I call a friend of mine with Sky News out of the UK. They do a big, uh, uh, documentary. If you want to go to, uh, YouTube and check it out, it's called, uh, Agent Down on YouTube, punch punch in agent down on YouTube. You'll see about a 45 minute documentary and it's a really good documentary with an, uh, an enactment reenactment of the shooting and everything. We did that. And then I decided to start writing a book. I start writing the book. Um, and, uh, it's not, it's not easy to write a book. I, I, I kid around with my wife. I said, I went to UTIP. I went to college. I'm going to write the book. No, no, no. It's super hard to write a book, but yes. I wanted to get the story down. I wanted. Jaime's memory to be alive because nobody knew. No one knows. Uh, Ten years later, very few people, believe it or not, still know what I just shared with you today, right. and that's not right. right. Uh, the agency failed in keeping, uh, has failed in keeping Jaime's memory alive, and I always compare this, I always compare DEA with this because DEA has done a phenomenal job in keeping uh, Agent uh, Enrique Camarena's memory alive to this day yeah. there was a huge uh a thing that happened i think not so long ago a few months ago that i couldn't go to that they honored him they continue to honor him every year all this but special agent jaime zapata there's, there's hardly an email that comes up comes out on february 15th if it wasn't for a friend of mine that i have in there that maybe maybe they would put nothing out and you'll never forget and you'll really put something out on february 15th on his anniversary yeah. Uh, and so anyway, I, I will gladly take on that role. I will do it. I will put it out. I will talk about him. I will do and say the sacrifice that he gave for our country and I will continue to do it as long as I can. That's why I wrote this book and put the information in there. And I also, by the way, cause I went through an identity crisis. Oh, this is the guy that got shot. This is the guy that survived. Well, you know what? I was actually a guy that had a pretty good expertise, uh, regarding our border regarding a lot of issues, uh, human trafficking and, and drug trafficking and everything else that we're seeing today. So I wrote about it. I said, I'm going to put in here what I believe that I would do uh, in these circumstances and what I know about my expertise. And that's what I put in there. 
uh, I wanted people to know that I'm, I do, I do have some skills. I, uh, I do have a lot to offer. I'll have a lot of service uh, to offer. And then, so finally the book comes out and because of the book, you start getting called to do interviews and I started doing that. The speaking engagements, not a lot, not, not Murph style and Peña, maybe one day, <laughs> one day we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I started sharing my story in person you know, build the the PowerPoint. I went to uh, Jay Dobbins. You know, he invited me once to the one that he speaks, and I was blown away. Like, oh my goodness, this is this is great. And so I do something like that, and 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 share a lot of it with police uh, agencies, military people, and uh, even other even other type of organizations. It kind of then started leaning in, into a political realm because people wanted to know about the border. Mm -hmm. And so I never would have I could told you 10 years ago, I'd never be in this situation after I wrote the book. And what do I do? What, how do I, I'm still fairly young. I could do something here. I could have something to offer. And the best way for me to do is to serve. The, the only difference is it happens to be a political office. And that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at today with this candidacy for Texas land commissioner. This office has my name written all over it. If you, if you ever looked at the duties of, of a person, because uh, we have a lot of people that's, that represent us, a lot of politicians, and you're like, why is this person in this position? How did he get there? Well, they elected him, but it has nothing to do with, with the position. No, this one really does. Mm -hmm. And it really matches up really good with what I'll do to defend Texas and, frankly, the rest of the country, because a lot of people are looking at Texas and what we do here in this election cycle, because it's affecting the rest of the world, well, you're kind of the, the rest front, of the country. You're kind of the front line of defense um, because of the huge border you have with Mexico. That's right. So tell us about. So let's let's talk about that too. Hey, but one thing I want to make a point on. Um, and I was looking at my notes here from our pre-call. This went up beyond just your immediate supervisors. I mean, this went all the way up beyond ICE. This went to the director, uh, you know, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, mm -hmm. And that person was at that time, Janet uh, Napolitano. Here's what I'm flummoxed about. I, I keep going back. To, I just, you know, it's one of those things. Is I, I feel like Peter Falk and Columbo. Yeah, there's just this one thing. I just, you know, this small thing. It's still bothering me. It's bothering me about the boxes again. What if it was such so urgent? Get a plane up there. Don't tell me. Are you telling me they couldn't have got a plane? Uh, you know, or some other thing. Or what was it? I, I keep going back to this. What was it that was so important? And who had the juice then? It's not just it's just, you know we're not talking about a GS nine here. You know, no. You, I mean, who had the juice to run it up the chain to where maybe the secretary didn't know exactly what was going on, but they were somebody was saying, hey, we got to get rid of this guy. It's got to be this way. I mean, where does that where does that juice come from? Who, who I'll tell you, that's a great question, and very few people ask that, and it's a great question because. The way the office in Mexico was being run was not independent. Like the attache didn't have the ultimate authority. He did not have it. It went through Washington and our office over there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say it to you this way. The Washington office had us by the balls. That's the way it is. That's the way it was. Whether that's, the, that, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. You could not do anything in Mexico without the approval of Washington. So if this attache and had his stuff, and if it was his personal stuff or not, and if he decided, then he was on his own. He didn't ask Washington. 
because I never would, uh, I would like to believe that Washington would never approve this. How in the hell are we going to send two agents to go get your shit? Uh, so that's a very good question. It is, they were heavily, heavily involved. We had a Mexico desk. Every, every, you know, you have the Europe desk, you have the Asia desk, Europe, Asia, you know, we had the Mexico desk. <laughs> we had a desk for with one 12 people just for one country. Yeah. Yeah, that's how busy it was. You know, and they, you, you, you couldn't pass do anything without going through that desk in DC. Well, and 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 to kind of play off of Morgan's point here, you know, you go back and look how this whole thing started, and you went through your chain of command to question the order they were giving you to go on Highway 57, right? You went to your right. your immediate supervisor, then it went up to the second level supervisors, assistants, attache. So we we are quasi military, but we in law enforcement, you know, we have a chain of command. What really bothers me is going back to Puerto Rico and freaking Dinkins, the head of ICE, coming to you personally. Could he have not picked a worse fucking time? You know, you're I getting know. ready to be recognized for what happened to you, and, and douchebag comes over and he's like, "Oh, hey, yes, I'm you get kicked out of Spain. The ambassador doesn't want you," which turns out to be a bald faced lie. You know, the chain of command runs two ways. You know, he should be coming. That's he should right. be getting that message back down through your chain of command. Uh, well, I'll just, tell you what: lies, lies, lies. Yeah. I, uh, I then, I then seek the help of the uh, office of special counsel, which somebody said, "Hey, you got to look out for them. They do something. They look into wrongdoings, and they do. They look. I put, I put at the very end when I was doing this, and you know, approached them. I put it in the book because." I, I had these allegations that I submitted to the Office of Special Counsel in D.C. And the Office of OSC, what they do is they look into these wrongdoings, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. of these agencies. And I had basically they break it down to six allegations. Some of them overlap. Um, and they force the Department of Homeland Security and ICE to actually investigate. Now, remember what I told you about what I had to do on that fender bender? I was bender getting ready <laughs> to talk about that, opening the case, right? Yep. Uh, you had to open a case on a fender bender, but I guess you're about to tell us, you know, I'm a brilliant detective. I think I can connect the dots here. Uh, I'm going to guess that there probably wasn't a case opened on this the same way it was on your car? Nope. <laughs> and eventually how somebody did I, had to... How did I know that? I'm freaking Nostradamus. <laughs> I predict... But here's the thing. Somebody from... Somebody that knew went to ICE and said, you mean you guys haven't opened a case? And everybody's like, no, you better fucking open a, a number now. And they eventually did. And they did. And they did open it. But here's the thing. It didn't matter that they opened it. Who would, who would you think would be the number one person that they would interview? Well, it'd have to be you. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. That's right. I never have in 11 years. Never been interviewed by anybody. Wait, so <laughs> allegations about what went on that day involving the death of an agent, Highway 57, message from the – all of this stuff, you're the central figure. You're trying to tell me today as we sit on this podcast, nobody has interviewed you. The only interview, not part of the investigation, not part of the investigation – when uh, you guys know this, and I, but I'll just say it in, in, for the audience – it doesn't matter if there's an FBI criminal investigation. It doesn't matter if the embassy does its investigation. It doesn't matter. ICE, by law, has to do its own investigation because it involved one of their employees, just like if you would have gone into a car accident. Mm -hmm. Same thing. You have to open investigation, talk to the agent, talk to the witnesses, and do your thing. Well, I was waiting for that. When is OPR, Office of Professional Responsibility, when is the actual agent going to come and get my version of what happened? 
It's never happened. The only interview that was given and that I gave was because the Office of Special Counsel ordered the Department of Homeland Security to send two OPR agents to come talk to me. And then, but that's not part of the, it's not part of the original uh, case. It's not part of the investigation. It's part of the OSC investigation. Very different. Mm -hmm. it's, it's still not part of the, the case number that they opened OSC up. It's part of the is, Office of Special Counsel. Yeah, an Office of Special Counsel is outside the organization to where... O has nothing to do with it. OPR is your own internal. That's that's internal affairs. FBI internal has affairs. OPR. D. Steve, is it OPR at DEA too? Yeah, OPR. And, and yeah. think about this. Who is the only person in the world on the good guy side that knows what happened on February 15th on Highway 57. There's only one person in the whole world on the good guy side. And who's that? You. Well, it ain't you me. and it ain't me. I'm going to guess it's going to be Victor. <laughs> and, they, and you would think that I would give them, they would want to hear me out. Absolutely. <laughs> Never happened. So always see. Dude, I'm sorry. We got to stop this. I got to go have a drink because that's the only way I can continue on at this, this point. Always see. Let me tell you, I got to finish this quick. So always see. Forces them, and two agents come, and I. This is this is a few years ago, guys. This is not a long. Right. This is not a long time ago. They, I lay it out, and I finally get to say my story at least to the OPR guys. Okay, but here's the kicker. I, because of that investigation, and and by the way, DHS corroborates uh, three of my allegations, and they say yes, in fact, we did screw up, but we're not going to do anything. We're gonna possibly do some disciplinary action on some people. Whatever. They all got promoted. They're all heads of offices. But that's not the key. I then get to see that investigation that they opened up, that case number of Mexico City to investigate the shooting. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, the interviews I get to read of my supervisor of Blue 52 and of all the other people that they interviewed. Not me. And I get to read what they said. And I'm just going to share one because it's despicable. My supervisor, my immediate supervisor, Juan Gelista is his name, said that he offered to go on this mission in my place. And that, he, and that I told him, no, no, no. I'll go. It's okay, Juan. I'll go. That fucking liar. Spineless. This is, that's almost stolen valor, I think. Yeah. It's close to it. Well, hey, how in the world do you, this is a complete lie. If Juan, in fact, would have told me, Victor, hey, I'm going to go. You stay with your wife and hell yeah, I would have, hell yeah, and I would have gone. Because you still got to make up for kind of screwing up things on, you know, uh, you know, Valentine's Day. I mean, if it yeah. wasn't for your kids, you know. Shit. If so, anyone would have volunteered to say, hey, Victor, um, I'll take it for you, man. Hey, that would have been cool. No, 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 no. Yeah. But the audacity to say that officially in an interview that I offered to go in his place is beyond comprehension to well, me. Well, now and, and now those guys have integrity issues, and when you lose your integrity, you got no business carrying a freaking well, badge. Well, look, man, that's that's it, man. Right. When you punch out of this business, integrity is the only thing you can take with you. That's you know? right. That's right. Badge, gun, those are just those are things. Integrity is 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 you. Real quickly, like I said. We're going to make folks read the book. Anybody who's listening, you better buy the book, agentunderfirebook.com. Yep. Read the book. 
But you keep saying blue 52. Um, yeah. So explain the significance of blue 52. Because all I can think of is Peyton Manning going, blue That's 52, it. Omaha, Omaha. That's it. That's the reason why my, my I didn't give him that nickname. It was my coworker that gave him that nickname because he looks like Peyton Manning. He's 6'5", tall dude, looks like Peyton Manning. And, and uh, that's what my that was his nickname in the office, Blue Fifty Two. Like he's hiking the ball, and so that's why that's why that's his nickname. That's what we called him. And uh, there, uh, you know, he came in strong. And when he came to Mexico, he came out strong. Like I'm gonna rule here, and I'm gonna govern, and I'm gonna. He had no idea how Mexico functioned. And one day, I don't even know if I should share this story or not. But I have come already here. I'm gonna tell it to you. We were doing a. I was in charge of the director's visit. It's about one in thirty in the morning. I'm outside of the hotel. Shift. I had just turned over the the my team, the security team, uh, the during the day to the night team. I'm gonna go drive home. I'm in my suburban. Here comes Blue Fifty Two. He had been in country for a week, and he's like, "You've been drinking." So what are you talking about? And I was inside my suburban, sitting down, and he says, "I don't appreciate my detail team and my security." And you're in charge of the security detail. And you've been drinking. I said, yeah. I said, are you are you are you accusing me of something? Are you want you want to ask me something? Because if you want to ask me, I'm right here, and I get off of the suburban, and of course I'm looking up. He's fucking tall, yeah. and I'm like, and how tall are you, be, Victor? I'm five nine, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like six five, and I, but I stand in front of him and I tell him, you gotta be careful how you talk to me. You're not just talking to any punk off the street. You can't just come up to me and start accusing me of drinking on the job. You better be fucking careful how you talk to me, Tony. And he says, well, I'm just saying, man, you guys are out there laughing. And I, I don't know what the hell you're, you have no idea how this funk, this thing works in this country. So then the next day I go home very upset. I get into the office the following day and he calls me in and he's like, hey, I'm sorry about what I did last night. I said, man, you can't do that, man. You can't come in here and been here. You've been here eight days. You have no idea how it goes here. You don't know idea how what's going on. But if you're ever going to challenge me to because you accuse me of something, you better be prepared because that's not you're going. You're barking off the wrong yeah. tree. That's not the person I am. So that type of attitude, you know, that they brought that. Yeah, they were so caught up with that. I'm the boss. I'm the deputy attache. I'm the. Whatever. That's the difference oh. between being a manager and a leader. You yep. know, managers, yeah. that's a manager, right? That's not a leader. Hey, you know, we want to actually end on a positive note here. So let's... Uh, <laughs> so folks, I mean, folks, you got to get the book. It's agentunderfirebook.com. Just go get Agent Under Fire by Victor Avila. You can find it on any place that sells books. And we'll obviously have it listed on our book page. So we're, we're going to put you on in our Hall of Fame on our book page. But let's Thanks. talk about, I mean, let's talk about post all of this stuff. Let's talk about what you're, what you're doing now. Cause you talked about Texas land commissioner, statewide office, you know, t tell us about the office and where things stand for you right now with that. Absolutely. Uh, the, the most important thing that I'm going to tell you is VictorAvilaTX.com. <laughs> that's for my, that's for, uh, for my campaign, VictorAvilaTX.com. This office is so important. I don't think it's been important ever, uh, because of what we're experiencing in our state, this office oversees 13 million acres of public land in Texas. And it's this office was created. It's the oldest office in the state of Texas and was created to defend Texas's land and our natural and mineral oil uh, land and natural resources, mineral uh, uh, rights and natural oil and gas. 
which we produce a lot of it. And because of that money that comes from it, those resources are then put back into the state of Texas. The main resources are, it goes to veteran benefits and it goes to the permanent school fund. Uh, and I'm, I want to do that. I want to expand that. I want to look at that money. I want to see, especially with our veterans, where that money is, be, is being spent. But the, fir the first order of the day when I become land commissioner is I'm going to concentrate on those, on those acres of land, of state land that we own on the border. And I'm going to secure it once and for all because what's happening here in Texas is lawlessness. The Biden administration will do nothing. Uh, as a matter of fact, our agents, our Border Patrol agents are fed up. They're, now they're, now they're, I'm so glad they're speaking up and fighting against the secretary and fighting against their own administration for telling them lies about not allowing them to do their jobs. And that's one thing, that's the federal government. But we're not going to wait around in the state of Texas. I will do and secure. Yes, we're going to build barriers. We're going to put infrastructure. We're going to do whatever we can on state land. And I will get with the private landowners, which I already have, by the way. I already started talking to them. They're fed up, too, with the drugs, with the illegal aliens, with all the issues that are coming through their property destruction and victor crime. but there's some there's let me add on to that they're not only finding that a lot of these landowners are going out and actually finding the bodies yes. of migrants who have died trying to cross into the united states i mean absolutely you go out onto your land and there are dead children there's dead adults i mean this, if you want to talk about a humanitarian crisis now look murph and i stay you know we're not political that doesn't mean our guests can't be but there's no but there's no politics involved when you say you don't we don't want anybody dying you know, there, there's no. no reason for kids. There's no reason for mothers to die. We've got to figure out a better way, a more humane way to do this stuff, as opposed to dying in the middle of a, a you know, of, of thousands of acres with no water, no food. Speaking of dying, uh, an illegal alien killed a uh, Houston constable a few days yeah. ago. Um, and he was one that one was deported and illegally reentered, right? Oh, yeah. And he'd been here illegally for 15 years with... A bunch of crimes. He has a, a, a crime sheet and he's on probation. How in the world do you have an illegal alien on probation? Where's the probation officer? I used to be a probation officer. What the hell? Yeah. You know, there's just no, no accountability anymore. Uh, there was another police officer killed in Mesquite, Texas, a month and a half ago by an illegal alien. And not just the police officers, but the rest of the U.S. citizens that are being um, victimized at the hands of illegal aliens. We have enough crime in this country that we don't need more people coming in here to, to commit more crimes. Right. And I understand before people think it's not everybody. I know that. I know not everybody is criminal. Some want to come here to work. But the bottom line is the criminals are ruining, ruining it for everybody else. We do have a system. It's called a legal immigration system. And I'm all pro and I'm all for it. But what's happening down there right now, and I just got back there on Sunday. And um, uh, I've been going every month for the last year. It is Whatever you think of how bad the border is, it's worse. It is, I don't know how to describe it besides lawlessness. You're just coming in. Well, let's, let's describe it this in. way, Victor. All, of all of the human trafficking going across the border, how much does the cartel own and operate of that right now? All of it, 100%. Cartels are making billions of dollars with the human smuggling, with the human trafficking, with the methamphetamine, with the fentanyl. By the way, working with China with the precursors mm -hmm. and the chemicals that China gives them. Oh, and guess what I'm going to do as Texas land commissioner? I'm not going to sell our land to China and the CCP, which 
the prior administration already had. Which, by the way, a lot of thousand acres. A lot of the proceeds of the Mexican cartels are laundering that money through Chinese and state-controlled uh, banks of China. Yes. So there's a whole issue there. I know some folks are going to. We're going to get some hate mail. So you guys are getting political. No, we're talking about. Issues reality of national here. security, you know, in reality, right? So, and that's why I was asking you, there was a time to where this was human trafficking organizations or some criminal groups that you, you've just validated what I thought a hundred percent of what's coming across the border now is run by the cartels, which means anytime somebody successfully makes it in across, you know, they bring them into the United States, that money that they paid goes back to kill more people, goes back to fund more cartels, goes back to buy more fentanyl, which by the way, Killed over 100,000, you know, opioid deaths last year. Steve, what was that's it? Right. Over 100,000? Over 100,000. First time here yeah. in the United States. That's just the United States. And you know what's causing the crime is the meth. Meth. I talked to San Antonio PD, Dallas PD, Houston PD, Abilene PD, in Colorado, the Colorado Police Association. Their number one issue with crime, meth. It's Methamphetamine. Coming it's, it's coming back. It's, it's coming back. It, Everything they have a goes big in issue. cycles. I, I tell yep. you, that's what we've seen. Hey, look. Um. Well, I want to ask one question though. Yeah, far away. I, I, we've we've spoken to several groups in Texas, and and I mean, you guys are known to do things big down there. 113 million acres. You guys just call that a ranch in Texas, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of land out here. Let me tell you, as a as a candidate, I've been driving around and flying around Texas. I thought I knew Texas. Ooh, it's a huge. big state. You want to know how big Texas is? Has they, have you watched uh, the spinoff of Yellowstone called 1883? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You talk about, I mean, talk about people who had it tough, you know, back then, you know, and going across the Brazos, you know, and heading out west and heading up that way. Yep. Oh, what a what a great series. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but my wife is currently pissed at, at uh, the show right now. I, oh, I can't man. tell you why. If oh, you, how, I don't know how many episodes you've watched, but... Um, I think I believe it was episode five. She's okay. pissed. She's pissed at it. So if you're if you haven't got to episode five, get out some hankies, get out the Kleenex. No spoilers. No spoilers no on spoiler here. It. So, hey yeah. Victor, again, we could. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could we could probably talk about, and we'll have to do this again. Um, but let me ask you. Um, you know, I actually I keep over here. You can't see it. Um, I can grab it. Just a second. Yeah, too. While while he's grabbing something there. Um, of our listeners, Texas is one of the leading states for listeners listening to Game of Crime. So you folks in Texas, we check out Vic, VictorRevealaTX.com. Check out and see what he's talking about here. You know, that, right. that affects your lives personally. Well, it's the Republic of Texas, if we're being correct. So True. So, uh, like you, um, that is from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. That is my friend, oh. Kent Newport. Uh, everybody's got a friend. You never want to let their memory go. I've gone down and got his etching off of the uh, memorial nice. wall. Very nice. You know, we've done that keep, with Jaime Zapata. We've done that with Jaime as well. Yeah, I've, I keep this. This is this occupies a place of honor. Um, always, you know, because it's one of those things. People say, you know, hey, yeah, we remember. Yeah, well, what do you do? What do you do to remember him? So, you know, thing we want to do is is just we want to make sure we remember and recognize Jaime Zapata because the uh, anniversary is coming up February fifteenth. Um, so yes. this episode is going to come out when you hear it. If you're hearing it for the first time, it's going to come out February 14th. So this is this is in advance. And we just want to tell you, we will never forget, Jaime. We will never forget right. what you did. Uh, and we'll never forget your service for our country. People can't see this, but this is me saluting you. Thank you. Uh, Victor saying, thank you, buddy. Uh, words, I, I'm at a loss. Murph, no, I'm very rarely at a loss for words. But uh, never, what like you never. went through. Yeah, never. 
But uh, I just <laughs> ran out of words to say to what, you know, to the way that you were treated. It, it's a shame. And I hope that you can confirm some of the stuff about the boxes and stuff, because all of a sudden when you said that, it started making sense about why would they take an agent who was shot by the Zeta cartels, the most one of the most dangerous areas in the world. I mean, dangerous like you would have been safer on the streets of you know Kabul, you know, or Baghdad. Um, and 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 an agent gets killed, and why he he is not honored the way he ought to be. All of a sudden, so when we get to that point, we'd love to bring you back and talk about that stuff. But in the meantime, everybody, to. go check out agentunderfirebook.com. Don't go to Agent Under Fire because that'll take you to his alternate ego, which is James <laughs> Bond, Bond, Avila, Victor Avila. But go to agentunderfirebook.com, download it, read it. There will be a test we will be having uh, <laughs> on this coming up soon. So I don't know what else to tell you, Victor. I mean, obviously, good luck, victoravilatx.com. People you. can, it's okay to donate uh, from anywhere in the United States. This is not Chicago, though. You just can't vote early and vote off. And you. I'll tell you what. A lot of um, a lot. I'm getting a bunch of donations from outside of the state of Texas, and they're sending me messages and saying, "Please secure Texas and secure the border because we know that you'll be securing us as well." If it yeah. gets through Texas, it gets through everywhere else. So hey, that's right. No, I was just gonna say, an honor to meet you, Victor, to have you on the show. Look forward. Hopefully, get to meet you in Dallas here in a couple okay. months. Um, True American patriot, brother. Sorry the way your agency treated you. That should have never happened. Thank you for your service to our country and your willingness to continue to serve our country. Fucking hero. Damn Skippy. Thank you. Thank you for the for the opportunity to t share the whole story. Probably one of the best podcasts I've ever done. Thank you so much. Thank well, you. Wait brother. a minute. What do you mean one of the best? He was on okay, with uh, the, This is the longest podcast ever. Oh, there you go. Now you're digging yourself a hole. That's fine. Everybody, we're going to edit this out. I'm editing that part out. But as with all of you guys, everybody stay tuned for the debrief. Guys, as we said, this this podcast is in the honor of Jaime Zabata. You should never forget this guy's name. Right. Died in the line of duty in a foreign country serving his nation February 15th, 2011. He was 32 years old. Um, Victor was, like I said, wounded as well, too. Um, you know, so we do this podcast in, in hopes that his memory and his sacrifice is never forgotten. And I got to tell you. If Victor is able to get the rest of that information and piece it together, I mean, I will stand with him toe-to-toe -to -toe and find out who the fuck is fucking him over and why they did it. Because, it, again, we made it very clear. Agencies don't do anything to people. Agencies are an entity. They, they are not a living thing. It's the people right. inside the agency that do things. And it's I want to know what people did this and what they did to him. And I want them held accountable. In this case, pure lack of leadership. There was no leadership going on there. These people had personal agendas, especially if we find out what was in those uh, cases that they picked up. And here you heard it in Victor's voice. He, he loved being, he loved his job. He loved being in law enforcement. He loved what he's doing. He's helping people. And what happens? He has to go out on a medical retirement because of his own agency. And to this day, Victor still carries a bullet in his leg from that incident in, in 2011. It's ridiculous. And, I, and let me tell you, the other thing too, is I want, there is a documentary out there uh, that'll be on our webpage along with the pictures and stuff. I read some of the comments and Steve, I got to tell you, I just got so infuriated because nobody listened for the facts. They go, what did he do? He rolled the window down. Oh, he's trying to get his partner shot. This was a setup. They were after Jaime Zapata. You know, this, people have no 
clue right. about what went on. And when you listen to Victor, I just simply ask you folks, for all of you armchair quarterbacks out there that think you know better, why don't you go out and sit in a vehicle and get shot at with AK-47s by the most dangerous cartel in Mexico, two carloads of them, by the way. Mm-hmm. And let me see, how would you react? I, I guarantee you what? I'd be changing a lot of your diapers and a lot of your underwear because you'd be shitting your pants left and right. So before anybody starts judging Victor, put yourself in their shoes and listen to exactly what happened and why it happened. Because I was telling him, you know, normally windows don't roll down. Or like he said, if right. they do, they're only a couple inches. There is a real good explanation for why that window got accidentally rolled down. And I guarantee you to this day, Victor wishes it never would have happened. Well, and keep in mind, Jaime, had, Jaime was there on a temporary duty assignment, a TDY assignment. He'd only been in country two or three days. So if anybody thinks that, you know, they were out to, to assassinate Jaime Zapata, I don't know what you're reading. That's uh, about as far from the truth as, as you can get. That's, that's actually a really ridiculous conspiracy theory. Yeah, so that's what that's why we get the people here who, you know, the people who live the story. Yep. The most dangerous toy stories ever told by the people who live them. And and let me tell you what, getting shot up by the most dangerous cartel in Mexico. Um, you know, thank God they had an armored vehicle, even though some of the rounds got through, the windows, the armor stopped so many of the rounds. They would have died if they'd been in a regular vehicle. Yep. Yep. So thank you know, thank God Victor's still with us. Thank you, Victor, for telling the story. You heard how emotionally he got. I mean, it's this is from the heart. These are raw interviews where these people don't hold back. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining in. And, and uh, you know, we hope that we're uh, enforcing positive attitudes about what law enforcement goes on, goes through on a daily basis. The mess, the press loves to, the media loves to put out, you know, every time a police officer screws up, that's what you hear about. You never hear about the heroic things that the guys are doing. And that's what this podcast is all about. So God bless all of you. Thank you for joining us once again. Yeah. And again, this podcast is in honor of Agent uh, Jaime Zapata into watch February 15th, 2011. Never forget. 